Every day, traders and investors dive in to tackle the ever-changing markets to find opportunity. Futures Radio Show is your number one source for answers to the questions that all market participants want to ask. Veteran futures trader Anthony Crudelli sits down with the most influential leaders and top traders in the industry. Now, here's your host, Anthony Crudelli. What's up, everybody? Anthony Crudelli here, and thank you for tuning in for this episode with Ira Harris. Futures Radio Show is sponsored by CME Group, the world's leading and most diverse futures and options exchange. CME Group's markets help individuals and businesses around the world effectively manage risk. For access to free educational tools and resources for the active individual trader, please visit activetrader.cmegroup.com. Now remember everybody, new shows are posted on Mondays and Thursdays. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Now if you're enjoying the show, please leave a review on iTunes. This show is also sponsored by FTSE Russell, Trading Technologies, RJO Futures, and Top Step Trader. To learn about some of the great offers that these sponsors have for our listeners, please visit futuresradioshow.com slash sponsors. Now, today I spoke with my friend, who's also a futures trader and writer of the blog, Notes from Underground, Ira Harris. Every single year for many years now, I begin the year reading my favorite macro traders blogs, Ira's is at the top of that list, to find out what the themes are for the upcoming year. And even more specifically, if I see them having any impact on the markets that I'm trading which is primarily the E-mini S&P and the 10-year and 10-year ultras. Ira is my go-to person for global macro themes, so right out of the gates I asked him what themes he's focused on this year and how they are impacting the markets that he's trading. We talked about Iran, gold, silver, bonds and treasuries, yield curves, and last but not least, Ira gives us his thoughts on U.S. equities. So without further ado, let me take you right to the interview with Ira. One of the most important things that I do before I begin any trading year is know what the global macro themes are and specifically how they're impacting the markets I'm trading. I think that too many people focus on what are the macro themes versus what are the macro themes that are impacting the markets that I'm trading. So first question for you, because you're really my go-to person for knowing what's what the macro themes are, is what global macro themes are you focused on right now and specifically how they are impacting the markets that you are trading? Okay. Wow, that's a very uh, good question. Okay. So we've, you know, the year is young, but one of the things that we've talked about is that the markets have been too complacent because of the uh, actions of central banks over the, the last de- decade, more, a little bit more than a decade already, and the impact that they've had on the market. And again, we see it this week, um, Friday or Thursday, late Thursday afternoon, when there was news about the uh, assassination of the Iranian uh, general and probably the second most powerful man in Iran, um, the markets acted uh, just like you would anticipate them to act, and then they calmed down. Although the gold and a few other um, 
uh, safe haven assets, although not the end. The end is kind of kind of set in here as as others, and they reacted uh, because of the uncertainty that this, you know, and the fears that were surrounding people. But equity markets, again, as we sit here, we're back to where you know it's uh, almost, uh, I think, two o'clock in the afternoon where you're at, one o'clock Chicago time, and equity markets are almost back to well, they're. I, I believe that they're higher than they they were on December 31st. Uh, they are, or roughly sitting there. So they they're taking this in stride, not being uh, as worried about it as uh, some of the uh, more risk off. The metals are hanging in here, but they may be actually the same thing, which is central banks. This will keep central banks uh, lower for longer. So you know why not uh, party on? And uh, to me, it's just building up the complacency. And it's like, it's like how ranges, you know, as markets become more volatile, ranges grow. Well, these ranges will grow as the world becomes more volatile because there's certainly, you know, as I like to write about, I didn't do it this year, but in many years past with the blog, talked about potential prairie fires that exist out there. And it, and it takes a single spark to light those prairie fires. So certainly uh, the tinder of a dry prairie is the Mideast, and we saw how a, a, um, a spark could could ignite it. Nothing's really uh, unfolded yet, but eyes are upon it. But because of uh, then the belief that money's going to stay loose, they go back and they start purchasing assets because you know what? Why not? Why not? They're not they're not frightened enough to flee what has been a phenomenal trade. So that's where we sit. Well, I want to stay on what just happened in Iran, and I want to talk a little bit about gold because knowing you for some time, one of the things that you constantly say is don't buy gold in times of war, right away when we anticipate that there could be a war. Uh, But yet gold is the one market that really stands out from the recent headlines. What what are your thoughts on that? That's right. But gold had already broken out before we had that, this uh, latest uh, incident of uh, geopolitical uh, uncertainty. Gold had already broken out. Uh, We hadn't made that last move up through uh, 1559, which was the high made back in September. But gold on any uh, trend line basis, on any... uh, uh, Fibonacci retracement uh, had already it had broken out, and you know we were people already projecting before this, uh, based on that 1700, 1750 in 2000 in 2020. Um, this has certainly uh, pushed some people to buy gold. But if you look last night, gold made a run last night or, uh, fairly early in Asia, all the way up to 1590. After opening at 1562, which was already a little more than $10 higher, but all through the night, gold actually gave back ground. And in fact, during what we call the regular pit time, gold went all the way back to the initial opening on Goldbex down at 1562.70. And I'm using the Feb contract. So, it, you know, anybody who, who rushed to buy it in, it, in the uncertainty, 
wound up giving uh, was either stuck adding to a losing position or watching or you know getting out and saying, "Oh, you know what?" And and because the break it broke twenty eight dollars off the high last night. So again, you can buy it, but with caution and patience. And you know what? If the S and P's keep going higher, we're now higher on the day on the S and P's. So let's see where the gold actually closes out here. But they may both be doing, and they probably are, because we saw that in 2019, because both gold and the S&Ps had pretty good years. Uh, they're both responding to the fact that the central banks were out, um, different speakers from the Fed were talking about how the uncertainty emanating from the uh, newest uh, uh, unleash of uh, violence in, in, in the Mideast uh, was going to keep the Fed lower for longer. Um, so that's, that is probably driving both of them. We'll get into lower for longer here in just a moment. And one thing I want to make a comment on when you talked about gold was already basically set up for a rally. You and I have talked about trading headlines for a lot of years. And something that I mm -hmm. look at is if a move is already underway, and a headline comes out that supports the technical side of that move is when you're going to get a bigger move anyway. You know, so I think what you're saying to me is, is that gold's move was what I would call underway already. And this headline just gave it a little bit of a push. A hundred percent. Right. Yeah. It, the move was, and now you have late people who buy, who buy into uh well, you, but you know, outbreak of violence, you buy gold because the airwaves is filled. People, Selling that concept, you know, you know, I've been consistent for 12 years, 13 longer. But as we, you haven't been doing this that long, and I haven't been blogging that long. But it's been a. I've been on Santelli and others, uh, Bloomberg with Kathleen Hayes. We've talked about this. That to me, gold is always a response to uh, central banks, um, and not necessarily their action, but the fear of what they may do. Uh, we we will see because because again it will be based on what central banks do in response to what higher energy prices. Now it's interesting because if we look at at the commodity indexes, you know from the Bloomberg index to the CRB, the, the inflation what are called the inflation indexes because they're uh, based on that are all breaking out and they were breaking out before this. But if you really get a move up in uh, oil. Uh, is the Fed, here's the question for, for everybody, is the Fed going to say, well, that's a transitory one-off or will it ignite some inflation fears? And believe me, there are some hints of inflation because of the uh, commodity indexes. And if you look at them and what those charts look like, you'll say, oh, there's definitely some price pressures building in the different commodity indexes. So that bears watching. But that'll call into a question something else that you know we're going to i'm sure we'll discuss is why would people then rush to buy bonds i would keep my duration here and i've maintained this view which is why i believe that 2020 is going to be a year of uh, uh yield curve steepening uh even though uh, they flattened on friday in response because people were just buying you know yield wherever they can find it and uh, I think when you, you really start to step back and take a look, uh, is higher energy prices coupled with prices in metals, industrial metals, 
Grains have been moving up all through their 200-day moving averages, and those charts look constructive. Um, the, and, and if you think the Fed's not going to, to respond because they're nervous about the impact it would have to financial markets, then steepeners should, should and I stress ought and should, begin to work here. They actually closed out on the 31st on their highs for the year, the 210 and the 25. So uh, they bear watching as to how they really respond to any uh, disruption from the Middle East. Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about bonds and yield curves in just a moment. I want to stay on gold and actually crude oil here just for a second, because something that I have learned watching these types of headlines in the past where I would consider both crude oil and gold. When I look at their charts, those moves were underway. Crude oil has been grinding up for quite a bit. Uh, gold actually has been as well. The charts look somewhat similar as of late. And this headline pushed it through. And there's just one thing that I always keep in the back of my mind. And I, I want to know what you think about this. I'm sure I probably mentioned it in the past to you as well. Is like day one is the overreaction. Day two is the reaction to day one. And then day three and beyond is when we find out the real story. You know, Anthony, you've been on that for a long time, and I give you a lot of credit because that's that's right. And that's the, that's when we discuss the patience. That's the patience we're talking about, giving it time to unfold, because, especially in today's algorithmic world. When I say today, I'm talking about the last 20 years of development of this. It'd be one thing years ago when big traders, big macro uh, hedge funds, uh, the Soros, the Tudors, the... Uh, uh, the the Caxton, they would get on this and they'd be pushing, pushing, and there'd be nobody to stop them. But now there's all kinds of correlative trades. So the algos who are you know doing different types of work do add as a uh, a counter force a lot of times. So let them play out and see where this is going to really be established and who's really establishing the trend here. Even though as we've talked about, the gold was certainly in an uptrend and taking out some uh, some resistance patterns well before this uh, this recent outbreak of, uh, of violence in, uh, in Iraq. I want to take a moment to talk about one of our sponsors, FTSE Russell. They are a leading global provider of benchmarks, analytics, and data solutions. The Russell 2000 Index is a key benchmark for small cap U.S. stocks. Be sure to check out the E-mini Russell 2000 Index Futures Contract, symbol R-T-Y. For more information on FTSE Russell and their products, please visit FTSERussell.com. I want to move on and talk about bonds and yield curves now. You said earlier in the conversation, lower for longer. Now, if I go back to last year, I remember talking to you at the end of, what was it, 18 coming into 19, you and I were talking about how your macro theme was that interest rates were going to be heading lower, not higher, like some were projecting. And we actually saw that. And the 10-year at the beginning of the year just started to grind up. And I, I want to talk about that because that was something that really at the beginning of last year really helped me with my trading, especially throughout the year. S&P was a tough year for me last year, but the 10-year was, was a good year because of that macro theme and the impact on the markets. Like I said at the beginning of the show, I, it's very important for me to focus on the impacts that it's having on markets when I'm looking at macro themes because it, you could have this macro theme, but if it's not impacting the market you're trading, then it's just kind of like 
It doesn't really matter to me as a trader. I like to see the impact. And last year, we really saw that with 10-year. It continued to go up. This year, you're saying lower for longer. How do you now go about trading 10-year and maybe the yield curves this year with, with that macro theme in mind? Okay. It's such a, that's a great question. And it is the ultimate question, I would say. Um, so let's go back to 2018. We, at the end, we did a we did a show, and you know, and I, and I know we discussed at that time what I thought was the absolute uh, correct analysis. And I, and I'd actually Santella and I had discussed that, and you and I discussed it. And then what Druckenmiller in a December interview called the double barrel approach, and I know that's what we discussed that the Fed was making a mistake, tightening doing quantitative tightening, which means reducing the balance sheet while raising rates. Now, we had discussed that. We can go back to 2017, and we had discussed that. I said, if you're going to move move one way or the other to find out how, in fact, this is going to play out, and that I didn't believe in Yellen's uh, thesis that this was going to be like watching paint dry, and, she, and I said she was handing uh, Jerome Powell a difficult position, and Powell proceeded along that. And of course, the first thing he does is pivot away. So they don't, where, where they left the December meeting, the FOMC meeting of 2018, remember, we were going to get four more rate increases according to the uh, summary uh, economic projections or the dot plots. Well, we didn't get any. We got three cuts. So they only missed by uh, 175 basis points under forecast. And that's with interest rates at two and a half percent. So it's not a it's not a very stellar forecast for the people who have the, the most sophisticated computers and models to work with. Okay, so let's put that aside. Um, and Druckenmiller was one hundred percent right. And of course, we we get the Fed backing off from raising rates, and then they finally have to do a pivot, the Powell pivot away from from uh, reducing the balance sheet. And then by September, they're, they're not only are they not reducing anymore, they're actually renewing uh, quantitative easing, no matter what you call it, even though they kept everything under a year duration. And we saw the effect, the yield curves. Remember, uh, I, I know we did a, 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 a podcast, or, maybe, or I think maybe we maybe even did a television one, uh, uh, YouTube, when we discussed that, I said, you know, the curves that inverted and I said, I was, you know, putting on steepeners here because it just didn't make any sense to me, you know, based on the analysis. And I, I'm glad to say that that did bear out. Uh, now, right now, I still think that those are going to proceed that way because, again, the Fed, that, the, the Fed is not buying what they call coupons or long-term duration, anything more than uh, than two years at the moment. That's, that's not how they're doing their, uh, their liquidity ads. They're keeping everything short term, hoping that they'll be able to remove it. Although if you listen to certain speakers over from Friday and over the weekend, it doesn't look like they're in any hurry. So that's why we go lower for longer. They're going to see the way this plays out. They're nervous about the Mideast. You've got the elections this year, even though the Fed says that they're uh, apolitical, but they have to be attuned to, you got an aggressive president who uses his bully pulpit to beat on them. Um, maybe if Powell thought he wasn't going to be reappointed, he, he might raise rates a couple times just to, to shake the tree, you know, but that would be seen as vindictive 
but it's not beyond the realm of possibility because there's certainly justification for it. Uh, so these are all in play, but that's why lower for longer, I'm looking for steepeners. Uh, but I'm being cautious here because I know that the impact from uh, what's going on in the Mideast is forcing people to maybe reassess some of their positions. And we saw the rally on Friday and a little bit overnight, but now as we look, you know, the tens have, you know, gone uh, from uh, a little bit higher now to actually lower on the day. So we'll see. But this has a lot, lots of time to play out. But I think any portfolio manager, and I, I, I listen to the nonsense uh, arguments about, well, a recession. Uh, but if there's a recession, the U.S. deficit is going to grow enormously because there's not going to be enough revenues. Because you're already running uh, uh, five, five and a half percent uh, GD, uh, debt to GDP numbers, and that's with two to two and a half percent growth. If you sh- if you go below one percent or zero growth, those deficits are going to explode. And last year, and the budget that they passed in December, which of course had massive amounts of defense spending, which will probably get more, uh, is going to explode the deficit. Explode the deficit. So I don't know why you would extend your duration. You're not getting paid to extend duration right now. I'm looking at the two five and it's at eight basis points. Why would I take on three or three and a half more years of duration for eight basis points? Yeah. You know, that's, that's just irresponsible on, on my part. And yes, I know, I know David Rosenberg sums it up beautifully uh, that People are by, as does um, Jimmy Bianco and and a few others, and uh, Jimmy Grant. People are buying bonds for capital gains, and and they buy equities for return, which is absolutely inverse to all of financial history. So if you don't think that the central banks have muddied the waters, just look at that, because I think there's a lot of truth in that. Hey, everybody, I want to pause for just a second and talk about a question that I constantly get. What platform am I using to trade futures? Well, I use TT. I've been using TT since the year 2000. They are the world's fastest commercially available futures trading platform. Now they have integrated tools for advanced options trading, cryptocurrencies, and trade surveillance. I highly recommend you try it now for free at tryttnow.com. Explain to everybody how you trade steepeners, specifically, you know, the execution side of things. Are you are you using futures? What are the ratios? Talk to us about that. I I, I use futures, and the exchange, the CME, does a really good job on the website. They'll, they'll give you the uh, the uh, the formulas. Uh, you may have to uh, register to get that. I get them uh, through Bloomberg. Uh, and their, the ratios are, are posted and known. You can find them. So like on the uh, two fives, the ratio is, uh, I want to say, about 1.6, 1.7, to fives. So when I, you know, I look at the yield differential and I go, okay. And I, try, I use futures because I'm comfortable uh, actually legging into, you know, as good a levels as I can find at times. I'm making a view at some point during the day. I go, oh, you know what? If the S&P start rallying, I may put my, if I want to be short the fives because I'm putting on steepeners, I may 
sell the fives and look to buy the twos on any type of correction. I did that this morning. So I have them on at really good levels. I've been out of them, but I put them on this morning uh, using uh, my my knowledge of what I think, you know, sometimes, and you know, I would say I get it 80% right and that 80% works to my benefit. Now, I will also watch, you know, other ancillary things going on to tell me, you know, oh, is there a possibility to this? Am I going to be able to, uh, you know, is this really trade telling me and can I get it on at some really good levels? And of course, you know, I, I'm a low risk guy. If I can reduce my risk, that's what I'm always trying to do. So if I can do the, um, the two fives at around, uh, down around on an equivalent basis around five and a half to six basis points, I'm going to try really hard to uh, to get that done. That's that's what my uh, that's what my goal is always to reduce my risk to as low as possible. I'm not opposed to risk. I'm just in favor of reducing my risk. That's what my job is. That's a big part of my my job is reduce my risk parameters to as low as possible because that's that's the way I'm going to make myself be successful as a trader. Oh, absolutely. And one of the ways that I have learned to reduce my overall risk in the markets is by really honing in to one side of the market that I want to trade, that I want to trade aggressively because I'll still trade both sides. And that all stems from doing the global macro homework by reading your blog, speaking with you, and then doing the long-term homework on the primary trend of the market, You know, looking at my monthlies, my weeklies, and my dailies, and seeing if they're working with the global macro themes or against them. And I really go back to last year a lot because when I saw the technicals in the 10-year lining up with your global macro theme, I was able to focus really more on the long side in 10-year. And ultimately, something I don't think we talk about enough is keeping me out of bad trades by selling rallies uh, on a 10-year that continued to grind up. So by reducing my overall risk, it was kind of both ways. One is that I was focused on a particular trade, and yeah, you're gonna. It's not gonna. They're not always gonna work. But the the thing is, I'm going with multiple things behind me: macro theme and primary trend and short term indications for my strategy, and just keeping me out of bad trades. And and not only just because maybe I'm losing money on them, but it's also the mental capital. So for me, I've learned that that's reduced my overall risk just by identifying one side that I want to trade more aggressively than the other. And um, you, you and I could do a whole show on this, but I want to move on because we've talked a lot today about gold. We've talked about crude oil a little bit. We, we talked about treasuries. We've talked about yield curves. But one thing we haven't talked about is U.S. equities. What are your thoughts on U.S. equities? Well, on a relative basis, and again, you know, global macro is all about relative values. And I know people have problems with that going, oh, no, it's either an absolute value or nothing. I, when I look at the world, I look from top down and I look around the globe, it's always relative value. The dollar, whether, you, whether you're buying euros or selling euros or buying British pounds or sunders, it's all on a relative value to something else. So it could be the dollar. It could be the pound to the euro. It could be the yen to the euro, but it's all relative value based. Um, so that's that's how my world unfolds. So on a relative basis, I view the U.S. 
uh, equity market as as overvalued on a relative basis to the rest of the world. So I, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, and and I know it's. Uh, I have to be careful because you know President Trump could tweet at any time that we're putting tariffs on Europe. So if you if I was long X at that time and short the S and P, I'd get hammered. So I I'm watching levels here. Last night was a classic case because they killed the DAX uh, right out of the chute. Uh, and by this morning, it was down like two, two over 2%. It was much weaker than anything else. It's come back. But so, of course, is the S&Ps. Uh, so right now, the S&Ps are outperforming. But I would say I'm looking for this year for uh, uh, certain uh, other developed markets, uh, the German, uh, the European uh, stock 50, to outperform the S&P. I'm certainly looking, especially if the dollar uh, starts to fill out this pattern, because the dollar right now is is really uh, not performing well. And that's one of the missing pieces of the puzzle from Friday, because the dollar really never rallied uh, significantly on Friday. So if it was a safe haven trade, uh, the dollar did not do its uh, traditional dance. Uh, so if the dollar weakens and spends the year weakening for, I could make it for many reasons. I think the emerging markets will will be a, a much better place. So of course, you know, as I've talked about, uh, I look at Russia, Mexico, uh, and certain other places. India, I'm, I'm nervous about because the politics there are are really a mess and uh, could get worse before they ever get better. So. I'm just looking at at relative opportunities. I think I hope that answers. No, the it question. does. Yeah, so relative value is what you're looking at when you're looking at US equities, specifically you and I are always talking about the S&P, but is there anything on the global macro picture that we should be watching specifically right now for the for the S&P, for S&P traders? Hey everybody, I want to pause and take a moment to talk about one of our sponsors, RJO Futures. They are a long-standing brokerage firm with personal broker relationships to learn, discuss, and trade the futures markets. To learn more about RJO Futures, please visit rjofutures.com. Uh, well, you know, of course you have all those geopolitical events, but uh, for that, no, just... They're still short-term though. You know what I mean? I rather to me. I've yeah. seen. I feel like those are always. They're quick in. They're quick out. They're you know. They're important and then they're forgotten. Yeah. No. That and that's that's a good point. But if but if the dollar goes down, I think people will start to move into other uh, equity markets. And again, we've had so many false starts here with the dollar moving down. I mean, by the end of uh, 2018, everybody was bullish dollars. All through 2018, I heard people bullish dollars. And then once the dollar, you know, really couldn't, uh, even with the interest rate differentials widening out, with the dollar really unable to establish any really new higher ground, people, uh, eh, maybe there's something else at work here. And there may well be. Maybe the rest of the world is going to start to recover in a more dynamic fashion, which gives them a better investment opportunity, especially. Because, we, you know, for those who buy it in the local currency, uh, like the British pound, if you go on a five-year chart, the British pound is a very low valuation. So even though the DAX, is, even I'm sorry, even though the FTSE's moved higher, based in the in currency uh, 
in relative currency play, the it's a cheaper buy. The the DAX, you you in in euro terms, is is really uh, way off its levels of you know 2013, 14, 15 when the euro was a lot higher. So they will start looking for those, and people will have to start looking for uh, for opportunities in those markets because the United States really has been everybody's love. You know, it's you know just look at over the over the last period of time. So that's all. And it's not like I'm looking to buy cheap again, but I'm looking for relative values. And if the world really steadies itself, then growth will start to return places where it's been missing and you can get in at, at you know, fairly good valuations, much better than the valuations in the United States. Because as everybody who I respect points out, the entire rally, I won't say the entire, but let's say 90% of the rally in the S&Ps last year was only based on extending out the, uh, the PE on the S&P 500. So we went from, you know, 15 to 18 and a half. That was the rally. So that's what it added. You know, profits have really not been that great in the last six months. It, certainly not enough to push the kind of levels that we did. So on a relative value, I'm looking at other, and other markets, and I'm going to try to uh, take advantage of um, of weakness where it occurs. Fantastic insight as usual, Ira. Tell everybody where they could read your blog and where also they could find you on Twitter. Well, you can find uh, now because of uh, <laughs> our buddy Pax. I'm on Twitter. He tweets out all my stuff, especially when I write. But the blog is Notes from Underground. Uh, available at Ira Harris, Y-R-A-H-A-R-R-I-S dot com. You can sign up there. You can also find me at the Financial Repression Authority. Certainly with Anthony Credelli, we do some really good <laughs> stuff. And uh, no, it's just, it's true. And uh, I, I, I'm i out there. I'm not, I, I haven't been doing uh, Santelli as much as I, I have in the past. And I'm not sure why. Um and I, I, I'm around, and I'm also in, you know, in White Wave, uh, which they post them on YouTube quite a bit. So I usually will do an hour, an hour and a half, and discuss, you know, possible trades. And there's, again, it's a lot of questions that come in, so it's really a good um, uh, device for ferreting out profitable trades. And you know, that's what it's all about. Because as I say, you know, we can talk about this, that, and the other, but if we can't turn it in. To a uh, to a trading opportunity, it's just gibberish anyway. Absolutely, uh, you know, you and I have talked about this so many times. But for those of you that are new to the show, Ira's blog is basically my macro homework. <laughs> One of very few that I read on a regular basis. I don't miss a post, Ira. You're the best, my friend. All the best to you in 2020. Thank you again so much for coming on Futures Radio Show. Okay, Anthony, get down to the driving range now. The swing's a little rusty. Go to work, man. Thank you for listening to Futures Radio Show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. You can listen to all of our episodes on futuresradioshow.com, iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher.